Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. I'm just reading an email here from Peter Sims. Thanks for getting in touch, Peter. He says he's not normally one to write letters, but he wanted to get in touch to ask us if we've checked out Atoms, Motion and Void. Have you heard of that? Never heard of it. Hmm. It's apparently a few years old now, but makes Night Vale look shallow by comparison. It's deep dark, mysterious. It's told by a man with great observations. Each episode is a story in itself, revealing a little more about how he became gradually initiated into a fictive secret society called the Stalwarts. Stalwarts? Stalwarts? I've never known how you say that word. Tasked with securing the future of the human race, ultimately. It's a bit like David Mitchell's The Bone Clocks in some ways, with magic of a sort, and you never really know if he's mad or imagining it all or not. In any case, it's the most eerie podcast I've ever heard out of many, many ones. <laughs> sounds amazing. Thanks, I'm Peter. I'm definitely going to give that a go. I like how we've got a little kind of canon of dystopian podcast building up here. Yeah, we really have, haven't we? It's been like quite an adventure. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's really good. So yeah, we'll throw that open as well. If anyone has any more podcasts of that type they want to send us you know in the kind of Night Vale Alice isn't dead Limetown type vein yeah let us know Amanda has also been in touch to say hello from the states I always get excited when people listen to our podcast in other places a real American a real American she says she's a big fan she's passed it on to a number of her friends so thank you very much she really enjoyed our review of Date Night a movie that she's inexplicably loved since it came out Tina Fey Steve Carell what's not to like I told my totally unconvinced friend she said until I effectively used this podcast as a vehicle to make Anna watch it (laughs) I have not managed to make anyone else watch this film you and amanda are basically the same person (laughs) she's the american me or i'm the british her Mm. she also says i'd like to recommend mistress america which stars and was co-written by the luminous mumblecore queen greta gerwig it's funny and spirited but not perfect in many ways in short i'd love to hear your thoughts anna your thoughts (laughs) controversially hate mistress america (laughs) me too thought i would love it was so excited when it came out all of the press and everything made me so cross yeah it's so weird i am always thinking about that question which is at the heart of mistress america which is basically like oh is it ethical to like write about other people that's Mm. basically 
exactly the question. And yeah, I still was just not interested in this movie. Any of the characters, I was like, yeah, we get it. They're all privileged and annoying. You've got to give me something here. It wasn't yeah. like girls where you're like, they're privileged and annoying, but in their dark, twisted personalities, I'm compelled. I was just like, no, you're all just really, really annoying and whiny and I cannot get into this plot at all. Have you seen Francis Ha? I haven't. And sometimes people are like, oh, you would love Francis Ha. And I'm like, mm, what does that say about me? I can't tell. You know, when a recommendation makes you feel a bit nervous in your yeah, heart. I don't know if you'd like it or not, but I think you'd find it interesting. Okay, I definitely um, have been wanting to watch it for ages. It's more female friendshipy than Mistress America. Yes. Which is, I know, something that you, you are interested in. Right, indeed. We've also had an email from Elena who writes in, firstly, to say that she really likes Seriously, which is always something Ooh. that we like hearing, but chiefly to recommend 13, which coincidentally is the thing we're about to talk about now. What a seg. Seggy seg seg. <laughs> Check me out doing a seg. So 13 is a BBC3 drama and I think I'm right in saying that it's pretty much one of the first since the channel went online only. Yeah that's true because the last thing that the channel aired was an advert for 13 I'm pretty sure. Uh, there we go so yeah it is the kind of marquee thing for its online relaunch and it follows the character of Ivy Moxham from the moment of her escape from her kidnapper through the aftermath of her return to the world she was taken from 13 years before hence the title. We're here to interview a female who alleges she's been a missing person for the last 13 years. You believe me, don't you? <laughs> I'm Ivy Moxham. I was taken 13 years ago. I've just escaped. Please help me. Reports that their daughter Ivy, snatched as a 13-year-old in 2003, has been found alive. Ivy, tell me that you're okay, please. I got shoved in a van, and, and when I woke, it, it was dark, and I was there. We just need to give her some time. Mum, I'm sorry, but that girl, it isn't her. So there's immediately similarities to Room that we've mm -hmm. talked about before. In real life, the Joseph Fritzl case, you know, it, it's one of those stories. It's one of those girl abducted when young, creepy man keeps her in a basement and then she escapes. Yeah, in, it's also... When she's 26, isn't she? Yeah, Yeah. so there's sort of a double 13 yeah. in that she was 13 when she was missing and she was gone for 13 years, right? I suppose the symbolism is that half of her life has been underground and half yeah. of it above ground. So she doesn't really know where she belongs or what is... Yeah, and you're right in that there's definitely a pattern for this sort of plot at the moment. Mm. It's also... Do you remember when The Missing was on, on yeah. BBC One. This was a programme that was really popular in the UK and when it was on BBC One maybe like a year and a half ago. The second season of The Missing is going to be remarkably similar to this. Is it? Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure what it says about 2016 that I know. we're suddenly obsessed with these narratives, but, but we are. I think that there were a few real life cases and they were all sort of around 2007 and maybe this is the point where people who were maybe really captured by those news stories when they were slightly younger seeing them in the news are now producing a lot of stuff. So this one, I I'm completely obsessed with it. I'm absolutely in love with it. I watched all of the episodes that are available in like one day. Oh, really? Yeah. I Because I'm also completely gripped and taken by this mm. program. I think I've watched like maybe one and a half episodes or something. And I just feel like I haven't had time to really sit down and binge it. But there is nothing I would like to do more because it's really eerie and really compelling. And so far, I haven't found it like overly sensational. I think one of the things that's nice about it is this is not a program that you watch if you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to like watch 
watch this girl like having to do horrible things to survive in this basement because it's all about the aftermath it can be a lot more subtle and a lot less like glorifying of that that sort of horrible violence against women yeah it's all about the aftermath it's all about the implications of the you know you you see the the basement where she was kept but you see it after the forensics have scrubbed it clean you know Mm. it's all about the kind of traces and the and not just the physical traces but the kind of traces in her memory you know i'd like to say it's from her perspective and it is in a way but it's probably more from the perspective of the two policemen who are investigating the case because we don't get any monologue from her or anything we find out things when she tells them things Mm -hmm. or if they find stuff out yeah sort of against her will in a weird way then you discover it and the kind of question mark always over everything is can she be believed yeah i think so there's two detectives trying to figure out what happened so that they can catch her kidnapper and very early on they say you know oh is she who she says Mm. she is they are not sure whether she is ivy moxham or whether she's another person sort of saying they are because they've had experiences with that in the past and they don't want to put the family through it and then once they sort of basically confirm that she is they start to question whether she's got stockholm syndrome essentially right they're like is she actually telling us stuff about her kidnapper or did she kind of in a way want to be there and does she want him to get off is she not telling us things yeah is she she either consciously or unconsciously still colluding with him Mm -hmm. by withholding information that's the kind of thing and at the same time as that narrative you have her re-entering the world and her friends from when she was 13 getting in touch and her seeing them again her re-entering her family situation and that's where i felt the strongest parallel with room was yeah exactly because in the same way as with room in the time that she's been kept underground her family has broken up essentially like her mum and dad have been separated and been seeing other people and although i suppose in room they don't try and pretend to brie larson's character they just go yeah this happened we're mm-hmm. sorry nothing's like it used to be mm-hmm. in this the mum is so obsessed with everything must be exactly how it was when she was taken mm-hmm. that even to the point where she starts rearranging the fridge magnets so that they look the same mm-hmm. she convinces ivy's dad that you need to move back in and you need to pretend like this never happened yeah and you're not allowed to call your your mistress or whatever anymore yeah you're your not new allowed partner. to call your new partner you're not allowed to see her anymore and he weirdly he agrees to this mm. and they live this sort of strange charade one of the things i really like about the show is that that is totally ambiguous because yeah it's a weird charade and they're acting it but they also start to believe it. You see genuine moments of affection between them. You see a kind of thawing of their detente that they've had for the past few years. And you can genuinely see that they could actually get back together. Mm. They have to emphasise this in the first episode. There isn't an example of this happening in real life in the UK. Nothing like this has yeah, happened. So no one's ever escaped from this kind of thing. And no one's been missing for that sort of length of time and then be reunited yeah, with their family. Pe- people go missing and then they're found dead. Yeah, exactly. So the detective on the case sort of say like well if she really is Ivy Moxham there's no precedent for this Yeah. so it is impossible to imagine like what a family how they would respond because I was speaking to this to a friend about 13 and she was saying oh I couldn't get I couldn't get on with it because I just thought the family was so ridiculous like mm, no one would ever respond like that and I'm a bit like well how would we respond like we actually nobody knows because it doesn't really happen people families come back from, and I know this is totally different but families come back from long-term estrangements mm, and stuff all the mm-hmm. time don't they or like where marriages break up and like half siblings are separated and then they meet again as adults and become friends like people do forge relationships against difficult circumstances obviously this is an extremely difficult circumstance and as you say there's no example of it but I like to think that there's something plausible in it and I think her point was the idea that they're all like behaving a bit crazily like the mum is like so obsessed with everything being back to normal and the sister's so suspicious of her Mm. sister coming back she like doesn't really want to believe or doesn't accept that it's her 
the dad is sort of so compliant and doesn't stick up for himself at all and she was like these aren't realistic characters and I'm a bit like well maybe they're just characters that are so pushed to the edge that they stop behaving in the boundaries of what we consider realistic but the whole point is that with these kinds of stories we just can't know how we'd feel it's so difficult to empathise with yeah it's true what do you think of the presence of the kidnapper in it well so far and Caroline do not spoil me because I am well into this in the first episode you don't really get any sort of glimpse of the kidnapper at all he's really good at evading them they this is not a spoiler to say that that doesn't change that right he's still this kind of invisible malevolence in it right and that's obviously a deliberate artistic choice and again room made a similar decision mm. right with old nick we never know old nick's real name we don't really see very many shots of him when we do it's through the eyes of jack who's like in the wardrobe etc etc you never really get a good Mm. look at him and that's sort of what they've done with this as well and I almost in a way think it's a really great way of just emphasising that the story is about the survivors and and the families and the aftermath and and really like I said at the beginning sort of moving away from that idea of stories about violence against women being about like that morbid fascination with the actual violence happening and and after a while you're just moving further and further away from the survivors story Mm. and their experience and you're just becoming obsessed with this sort of like mythical villain and it's no good I don't think to to obsess over it because in a way that's probably what these people want when they do get found mm. if they are going to get found they want people to be like oh, wow what like what a crazy achievement almost so I like that he's forced to remain in the shadows in this program yeah and I also as you say I really like the focus on Ivy and her mental state and her feelings about re-entering the world I feel particularly close to it because she's only very slightly younger than me mm. so the music she remembers from when she was there and then the music that her friend Tim like introduces her to since is the music I was listening to at roughly those stages yeah. and stuff so I kind of really closely identify with that I suppose yeah and the pictures and everything they yeah. have that sort of look of that time not a spoiler but there's a bit later on when she asks her sister what is what is an iPhone can you show me how it works what, what are all these apps on it her sister's like oh actually I, I got you your own phone so you can have your own one which is obviously a really symbolic moment of like mm. you are a person again you have independence you are allowed to contact who you want mm. but also she so she takes it and she's like thanks does it have snake on it oh because snake. obviously she was so she was 13 she obviously she had a like nokia 3310 yeah. she liked playing snake oh my gosh that's so funny i have to say the performances in this from the young cast i think are so amazing mm. so it's jodie coma who plays ivy moxham in the lead role and uh who listeners may remember if you if you watched a bit of my mad fat diary with us way back when she's the best friend in my mad fat diary yeah. which is a really sort of light breezy slight edge of bitchiness role that's like very different to this one and she does both so brilliantly and I'm really impressed by her I think she's like a definitely a rising talent absolutely I also really like Aniron Barnard who plays her sort of semi love interest Tim yeah he's like, her childhood boyfriend isn't he yeah, from when they were like 13 exactly I feel like his chief mode is regret he does a really good regretful face he does like a lot of sort of half smiles with sad eyes yeah. that are very good and he's like he's I mean he's also very handsome he's very charming I think he's doing brilliantly in it yeah and Natasha Little who's in The Night Manager at the moment so the cast is really really strong and I think BBC Three have done amazingly well to produce something of this calibre yes I wanted to actually say a bit about that that you know they've they've cut BBC Three from being a broadcast channel to save money and also because so they claim no one watched it mm. um, everyone just streamed the programmes on iPlayer anyway I'm sure that's true I think that's I'm sure that was a trend in the figures I think people did still watch it on television but mm. maybe just for the family guy reruns who knows <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think they've made absolutely the right decision mark the first sort of moment of 
being an online only thing. It shouldn't be, but it is still, I think, in the British media sense at least, it's seen as a step down. Yeah. If something goes online only, it's because it wasn't working out. Exactly. And I think they've tried so hard to spin it positively and be like, oh, it's a relaunch. And so, and everyone's been quite like roll eyes about it. But I mean, if this is the caliber of programs they're going to produce online, then I'm all for it. It's amazing. If removing having to pay for the you know broadcast bandwidth and all that kind of stuff frees them up creatively to do longer things or shorter things or weirder things weirder things continuous things whatever you know frees them from having to like fill an hour or half an hour yeah, on, yeah. and also means that they can put some of that money into put some of that money programs. into making programs then yeah it's it's the future and it's good i like it ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Anomalisa, a stop-motion animated movie that follows Michael Stone, a successful customer service expert struggling to counter the mundanity of his life. He does this by cheating on his wife <laughs> with Lisa, a shy, vulnerable young woman he seeks out during a one-night business trip to Cincinnati. I really feel like that sums up our central character. <laughs> yeah, Anomalisa. it does. I hate him. I, I hated him so powerfully when I, I was watching him with this my film. life. I hate yeah. him with my actual life. And I think it's probably testament to the power of this film that I hated a tiny plasticine man so much. He's sort of in the, the vein of that like serious man justifying all his bad decisions and horrible misogynistic treatment of women by his existential crisis. And you're like, no, it's not enough for you to just be like really, really bored and really miserable and like 
probably quite depressed in your life that doesn't give you a free pass to just piss all over everyone else i know and the other thing that made me really hate his character is the evidence that you get quite quickly that he's always been like this so because i think sometimes that kind of behavior gets indulged in movies and stuff as it's an aberration it's a one-time thing and then he goes back to his family whereas this you quickly learn that he's got a wife and a kid that Mm. you know he's supposedly a family with the film follows his sort of one night in this hotel when he's on this business trip at the beginning of the night he calls up an old girlfriend who lives in cincinnati and goes for a drink with her fucks that up and then later on he meets lisa and the drink with the ex-girlfriend quickly reveals that he kind of let her down as well like she thought that they were in it for the long term and he just vanished and you know like didn't even leave her a letter all of this kind of stuff and you're like, you've just always been like this. You've yeah. always been this terrible you're just person. A, you're just a dickhead. The plot is very, very simple. It's like a real bare bones story where it's literally like he arrives at Cincinnati, he stays in the hotel for one night, kind of has a bit of a panic because he's there to deliver a speech. The speech goes badly. He goes home. Mm. That's the plot of this movie. What is it to be human? What is it to ache? What is it to be alive? Each person you speak to has had a day. Some of the days have been good, some bad. Each person you speak to has had a childhood. Each has a body. Each body has aches. And it's just so funny the way they like pepper that story with him meeting and treating all these different women really badly. So yeah, you get this girlfriend who comes in at the beginning and then, but the way he meets Lisa is even worse. He just like is in his hotel having a bit of a panic because he feels really lonely and he's a bit drunk. And he just like knocks on doors, just knocks on random doors in his hotel looking for someone. It's to do with the voices. So I didn't really realise this until afterwards i knew there was something a bit odd about the voices in this film all the characters weren't all done by different people and then i read a review i think it was ryan gilby's review for the ns about it and he pointed out that michael is voiced by one person Mm -hmm. lisa is voiced by another person and Mm -hmm. then all the other characters are voiced by the same third person yeah and you also start to realize that they all have the same have the same face yeah so apart from those two when he goes on his rampage down the hotel floor like knocking on all the doors it's because he can hear lisa's voice and the implication is that it's the first voice he's heard that is different from everyone else's and Mm -hmm. he's like chasing the sound of her voice because it's the only thing that's going to save him yeah which is interesting but obviously awful (laughs) yeah and then he finds lisa and her friend in this room and he takes the two girls out for a drink at the bar where he's just been with another woman and then he spends all night sort of flirting with both of them Mm. and then he like chooses one of them in the corridor in a really awkward embarrassing way i think the really funny thing about this film is although you're constantly seeing it through his eyes where you know every single person on the planet is the same except him and this woman actually he treats women completely indiscriminately and anomalisa is not an anomaly at all because that that name anomalisa comes from when he says you know you're the only person who's not like everyone else you're different you're an anomaly anomalisa and then, as you say, you, you start to realise that these are just patterns in his life and, like, there's another, there's going to be another anomaly, quote marks, yeah. the next day and the next day and the next day. And he just discards people. And he actually, he's the one who's treating everyone indiscriminately and, yeah. like, they're the same. What did you make of the animation? 
I thought it was really good, really clever. You can t- I, I love watching stop motion movies because they often just have like a character and a quality mm. that you can't quite put your finger on. And a kind on. of colouring and aesthetic and stuff that yeah. comes with it, yeah. I think when you have to do something in that much detail, you end up with such a unified aesthetic. So all the characters, they look not realistic, but they're fairly detailed and they're fairly lifelike in that, you know, they're not overly stylized like Pixar yeah. or something might be. But they've got this line, haven't they, going from their eyes to the backs of their heads. Yeah, sort of like the face is kind of in two jointed parts almost. Yeah. So you are, whenever you're looking at any of them, you're never not aware that they're a model. You exactly. Know? I think otherwise you would like really settle into them as just like people. Yeah. But the, the, those lines are quite eerie and they, they're constantly reminding you that they are models. And there's something, I mean, a lot of this film is about alienation and like feeling disconnected to other human beings. Mm. And it kind of repeats that pattern in the model which so it is really clever because in other regards apart from the jointed face and stuff they are quite realistic yeah like i read peter bradshaw's review in the guardian and he reckons that the sex scene anomaly is one of the most realistic sex scenes he's ever seen mm. in a movie in the sense that obviously it's like between two tiny plasticine models but in the sense that the way the sex is characterized is more how sex works between two people who've never had sex before he like offers to go down on her and she's a bit like oh no you don't have to do that and he's like no no i want to and like no, no. that is a very sort of realistic yeah. like sex conversation i think for a lot of people and i completely agree that it was you know more lifelike in a lot of ways than any sort of like hollywood sex scene yeah i actually had to like put my head into my jumper for that entire scene i couldn't watch it i felt so uncomfortable I and i actually squirmed my way through most of this film right from the beginning when he's just getting in a taxi going to his hotel that deep anxiety you have when you arrive to a strange place at night and you're nervous about something and you don't know where you're going and you don't know anyone there and you're lonely and you're uncomfortable and you just want to go home and like end the nightmare. Like, I felt that so much the entire way through this film. It really reminded me of a trip I took to London with my best friend. We arrived at night and we were going to see like a Russell Brand show and there was like an awkward period between the show finishing and like us actually wanting to go to sleep and go to bed, but mm. we didn't know London very well. We went to see The Edge of Love with like Sienna Miller and Kira Knightley as like an escape for a couple of hours. And I was, <laughs> what the Dylan Thomas film? Yeah, when we were like I don't know sixteen or something, and then I was just like, oh my god, I really don't want this film to end and for us to like have to walk through the dark park to oh. our hostel in our massive shared dorm. I felt so like uncomfortable about it. Obviously, it was fine because I was with her, but like that feeling is just the feeling that this film gave me the entire way through. I'm glad you said that because I was worried that I'd judge this film too harshly because I was so hungry when I went to see it (laughs) that I was hangry. I was so angry and hungry and tired that I I kind of felt a bit bad that maybe I really didn't hate Michael as much as I thought I did. Mm. Maybe it was just because I was hungry, but... No, I think I do hate him. Yeah, and I I didn't enjoy the experience of watching this film no. at all, but I think it was a really clever, really good film. Yeah, I think so too. So I don't think we're judging it harshly. I think we're just saying like, yes, you provoked probably the it's, reaction you aimed to in us and we were furious and uncomfortable. It's successful in what it sets out to do. When I see a face So last week I recommended that Anna watch the film A Little Chaos, which is a 2014 period drama directed by and starring Alan Rickman. 
It's set at the French court in the time of Louis XIV, who is played by Rickman, and revolves around the king's obsession with redesigning the gardens at Versailles, and the new female landscape gardener, played by Kate Winslet, who arrives on the scene. The palace of Versailles shall be the heart of our kingdom, with gardens of exquisite and matchless beauty. Heaven shall be here. Anna, what did you think? So this film is like exactly as you describe a lot about gardening. <laughs> I know, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> Spoilers ahoy, but like one of the main plot points in this is like when the garden gets flooded and that's like the absolute emotional like <laughs> climax of the film, which yeah. is so funny. Um, but I thought a lot of this film was just a joy. The scenes with Alan Rickman and Kate Winslet specifically, I think are worth watching the sort of other less good bits of this film mm. for because they've just got such brilliant chemistry together and they're not romantic leads in any way with, with regards to each other they're both sort of pursuing their own different romantic affairs but there's something about the way they act together that is a very very comedic and b very very real yeah so there's two contrasting scenes i would pick out about that one where where she comes to do something in a garden and she's been told that the sort of gardener guy will be there for her to talk to and actually the king is currently in the garden he's ordered everybody else out so and the gardener like has to leave so that the king can finally have some privacy yeah. and he like takes his elaborate louis the 14th wig off and like yeah. sits beneath a pear tree like ah oh, finally and i am she, alone and she turns up and they for a while indulge the fiction that he is the gardener guy so he can just have a normal conversation with her yeah she thinks he's the gardener and then there's this great sort of dialogue where she's like there are lots of pears here like oh you know what do you think of pears and he's like oh i hate pears i think they're rubbish they're overrated and she's like haha i think not and he's like you do <laughs> she's like yes well i've obviously read your book on pears and he's like ah, uh, yes my book on pears <laughs> like, he does some really great alan rickman silences where he's like and i said that i liked pears Nothing would suit me better than for me, the king's gardener, to take some advice on perennials. <laughs> and it's so funny. And then she sort of, as he's doing this, realises who he is and like goes into a little bow. And he's like, can we just like keep pretending that I'm the gardener, please? And she's like, well, of course you are the gardener. And it's yeah. like really, really sweet. So there's that. And then there's the scene, completely contrasting with that, there's the scene in the corridor at court mm -hmm. when all the ladies come out of the special lady cupboard. Oh my God, can um, we talk about the lady cupboard very briefly? <laughs> yes. Alan Rickman and Kate Winslet starred together in Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. And you know how in Jane Austen there are no scenes just between men because she doesn't know what they get up to yeah. behind closed doors? I really hope that this is Alan Rickman's vision of what women get up to yeah. behind closed doors because literally Kate Winslet like walks into this lady cupboard filled with other ladies and they immediately all get their boobs out and they're like, <laughs> look, I've got perfect breasts touch them <laughs> and you're like wait what the fuck alan is this what you thought like ladies did in their spare time when there were no men around <laughs> i know but i love i love the lady cupboard so, so much because it's like women of all ages and they they can actually talk frankly about the stuff that they're, they're never supposed to talk about court about you know the children they've lost and like the husbands they hate and the husbands they love and all of this kind of thing and yeah death chat is only allowed in the lady cupboard yes not outside well it's it's funny though isn't it because the the whole obsession with gardening in this film is about controlling nature and mm. making it beautiful and everything must be beautiful all the time for the king nothing can ever be sad and i think that's why the conversation in the lady cupboard is there it's to say these aren't just kind of like mannequins with fancy dresses on their people and they have lost 
losses and they should be allowed to talk about them. Yeah, and then the scene that you were talking yeah. about in the corridor is sort of continuing this gardening metaphor. In oh, it's so metaphorical. It's, yeah. it's, it's like a walking allegory. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. As is this whole film. But yeah, go on about the corridor yeah, so, scene. Yeah, so then there's this corridor scene. So all the ladies come out the lady cupboard and they're standing in a kind of respectful formation in the corridor. And then Alan Rickman's Louis Fourteenth and all the dudes come from the other direction. And they sort of meet in a kind of chevron-y shape in yeah. the middle. And he and Kate Winslet's character have a sort of gardening metaphor off where they kind of talk about roses and stuff and you're but not the roses are, are women she the... like gives him a rose and he's like what would a rose say if it could speak <laughs> <laughs> and she's like oh a rose would say it's not my fault that i get old and wither and die and lose my beauty and she's talking about his mistress yeah and sort of defending his mistress against like charges of being he says something like what a nice rose it's not overblown and losing its bloom like so many other roses i know side-eye mistress <laughs> you shit mistress <laughs> then kate winslet's like why i think a rose would say that it's not the rose's fault that it loses its beauty and no none of the men roses have to give a shit about that do they <laughs> it's so funny it's so great i love it so much and the whole thing happens in this kind of french courtly mode which yeah it's a joy and, and the guy from a bigger splash is yeah matthias schoenart is, is um kate winslet's sort of gardening love interest also known as tilda swinton's hottest Italian boyfriend. Well, in this, he's just like a hot French guy, right? Yeah. Also, this film supposedly set in France and all like French people, but it's completely filmed in like Blenheim Palace and other famous English landmarks, and they all just speak English. Yeah, it's just not explained. It's totally peopled by like Helen McCrory and other (laughs) famous British people. Timothy Spall and like. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny, but I think the weirdness of it is is its pleasure. Like it's just completely. And I'm going to reiterate what I said last week. Alan Rickman only directed two films in his career. Yeah, this was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much about Alan Rickman. I know it's clearly he had other offers to do directing. He saved it for this film. He loved this film. This was his passion project. And I just think they must have all had a really fun time on the set. Yes. Yeah. Like also Kate Winslet was pregnant during all the was filming. She? I was I reading about that. it. Yeah. She like got the role and then like two weeks into filming was like, by the way, I'm pregnant. And everyone was like, that's chill. Like we'll just work around it. And I just, I don't know. Just the whole, I love all the cast so much. And I just think I bet they had a wonderful time together. Hmm. Yeah, so I loved it. Although there were bits where, like, the gardening chat was going on and I was a bit like, don't really care about this gardening chat. I'm, this doesn't feel like a metaphor at this point. And it's, you're just talking about shrubs. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't care for, like, so there's a whole, there's, like, whole other plot lines about, like, the king's wife dying and Kate Winslet's husband and child dying and uh, her new love interest, his wife, who's, like, always cheating on him but still a bit jealous that he's got someone new and like all these other extraneous plots i was a bit like no can we just get kate winslet and alan rickman back yeah, in the room together but as you say it's totally worth watching through all of that for for, their for a the lady cupboard and b for their, their scene <laughs> <laughs> so yeah listeners please watch it and let us know what you think so for you caroline next week uh, i thought we'd go musical you this is keen exciting. for that? I am excited. So we went to Latitude together, didn't we? Listeners may remember because we podcasted from Latitude. We did. We podcasted from our cute cottage in, in Sussex. Oh, wasn't it lovely? No, was it, no Suffolk. Suffolk, it's called. Not yes. Suffolk. It was a lovely time. And one thing that we did do was we went to see Alt-J and they then performed some songs. And you aren't really that familiar with Alt-J, are you? No, I know a couple of the singles, but not any of the rest of their work in that much detail. Okay, excellent. Because I thought I would recommend you their first album, which I loved at the time. I actually haven't listened to it in a while, so I'll give it a re-listen mm. as well, in case my thoughts have changed on it. 
but I think it's a really, really good album. I think all the songs like work together really well mm. as an album. And I used to love it this time of year when the sun's just starting to come out again. And for me, sort of Easter time, this kind of time of the year was like when I could get back on my bike in Cheltenham and sort mm. of cycle around all the like weird cycle lanes and like over railway bridges and stuff that we have in Cheltenham. You can like cycle from five minutes from my house and like start to get into fields, even though I live in the middle of a town. So I used to like do that listening to the old, Aww. I mean, you, you probably shouldn't cycle with earphones <laughs> in. So, you know, cycle safe listeners. <laughs> um, but I love this album. So I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know why I rambled about that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and they should be listening to it too. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.